This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Soundbites, our weekly look at food, agriculture, and our future here on The Mark Steiner Show. From your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSTL 90.7 FM. Today on Soundbites, we talk with Mitch Jones, who's a senior policy advocate for Food and Water Watch, about the Trans-Pacific Partnership and what it might mean for the future of local food, regulations surrounding imported food, and who controls our water. That's in the second half of Soundbites. First, we're going to bring you the second part of a town hall meeting I moderated in Sandtown, Winchester. When the uprising occurred in the wake of Freddie Gray's death, it was in his neighborhood, Sandtown, Winchester, an old black working-class community that now has become a food desert. The only stores that exist are corner stores selling chips, sodas, canned food, and liquor. So how much does this condition contribute to the frustrations of the people and what can be done about it? So what you're going to hear is a town meeting that we convened with our partners, the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health's Center for Liberal Futures Food and Faith Project, where we brought together faith leaders from three churches in Sandtown that are working to strengthen and transform the community. It was only appropriate to have this conversation at the center of where the Baltimore uprising took place and the neighborhood where Freddie Gray lived and was arrested. So I sat down with three members of the faith community who are all working on these food issues in interesting ways, from holding large grocery store chains accountable for the food they provide and sell to Baltimoreans with limited access to fresh food, to putting people to work through the construction of hoop gardens in their neighborhoods. And our guests were Elder C.W. Harris, Strength to Love to Farm and Newborn Holistic Ministries, Antoine Bennett from the New Song Community Church, and Melissa Kelly from St. Peter Claver's Catholic Church's no Boundaries Coalition. We start with a question from the audience. Hi, my name is Candice. Um, I go to New Song Church. And I just had a question about the, um, I'm looking at your schematic there. I know that people on the radio can't see it. But um, Antoine, you talked about a parallel between employment and, um, you know, food. And I was thinking about the food system having components with consumption. You know, even wealthy people don't have time to eat nowadays. And like, the vegetables need to somehow get processed to make it, you know, not always. Like, every, it takes time to cook from scratch. So I guess my question is, are there any potential partnerships within restaurants or, you know, culinary um, programs that maybe can partner um, to sort of see this expand and create more jobs? Sure. You have an example, and if I may take a stab at uh, Dr. DeWitt. What is the last name? Dr. DeWitt, who uh, by trade and profession as a uh, chef. And what he has been uh, doing over the few years have been uh, training men and women in the culinary field. And uh, out of that training, they have been gaining employment directly into that culinary field. And I think that having a conversation with the, the, the DeWitts of this city and particularly of this community because uh, there's a lot of wonderful cooks in this community that we don't know about. Some of them are under what you call the gray business. I mean, the ones, you know, I ain't mentioning no names, but they ain't paying taxes. But uh, <laughs> but they're there. They're there. Uh, and they know how to cook a healthy meal. And so connecting to this gray business with Dr. DeWitt's effort, with these hoop farms and with this advocacy that's going on, is, is what it takes. It's a lot of construction that's coming through Baltimore City. I'm thinking that uh, you have uh, somebody going out of this, uh, and I'm just speaking off the top of my head, going out of the great business who said he fell in love with uh, Elder Harris's work there, and they showing off her the, uh, you know, the advocacy piece from um, Melissa and No Boundaries and 
they learn from Dr. DeWitt. They get a cart. They go out, and they sit outside of these uh, construction sites and sell healthy dishes. Now, that's not necessary to the community, but it does answer the issue of uh, employment, educational uh, and employment opportunities for the residents of the community, just thinking off the top of it. Now, Dr. DeWitt is a, a, I think he's a professor at one of the colleges teaches uh, culinary arts. Uh, you can't see the chart, but culinary art training is a part of what I have up here, and uh, we will also have a place where folk can sit down and eat uh, healthy food. It's all a part of the program. It is. And I, and I think, you know, we're talking about great, <laughs> the, great, the gray economy. That's something that we don't think about in terms of turning it into an economy that is stable, that has always been there, yes. and making it real. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and how many dozens of, especially women, are there selling food in neighborhoods yes. out of their mm-hmm. kitchen and what that can be turned into. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right? And how that fits into all this plan here. I'm just not going to tell you who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know right now. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else out here? I know. Aha. Hi, my name is Amelia. So speaking on the aspect of the, the gray economy, I'm also aware of a guy who's got um, a tilapia farm in his, an aquaculture tilapia farm in his basement. I'm not going to tell you what intersection it's at, but it's a very notorious <laughs> intersection. And um, it strikes me that when we talk about going to scale, which somebody um, brought earlier, that sometimes I think that's the wrong question. Sometimes it seems to me that... Um, local solutions might look very local. So although what you're, part of what you're talking about with Strength to Love is modeled on something in Frisco, we still might have things, whether that's the A-rabbers, that it's really only ever going to work here. But what do we need to do to get the health department paying more attention to Save-A-Lot's expired foods and less attention to the A-rabbers um, when we talk about the, the kickbacks that big corporations get but that a guy with a tilapia farm in his basement is never going to be cut any slack so he stays in the gray economy and the A-rabbers' horses aren't being taken care of because nobody's servicing horses in the city because that's just an awkward thing for us. But it's some of the area where I feel just where scale is the wrong measure. We have solutions here. They're not going to look right if they go big and bureaucracy might in fact kill them but so how do we adjust ourselves and our expectations um, into a more local into a more into more local solutions and, uh, we have a uh, um, an arab station over here on uh, 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 Fremont, Fremont Avenue and, um, and 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 Sandtown has always been that uh, uh, community that housed those uh, the animals uh, but uh, we can improve, and this is what we said. That is a, a, a business. Uh, uh, these guys are working. They're out in the hot sun with their whole. You know, we can improve that, and and so we're we're going to talk about uh, that at one Baltimore. How can we improve uh, uh, the asset base? The the these organizations that's really doing something, and we can. We can really uh, put our forces behind it and change the outlook of this community. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, what, 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 what was your name again? I'm sorry, Amelia. Amelia, thank mm-hmm. you. Sorry, what, what Amelia was saying, I think, is is something that is is kind of important to pursue again from the bottom up, from the community out. I mean, 
it's true that when sometimes things come in from the outside, they become bureaucratic, top-down, they forget what's already here, what's indigenous to the neighborhood, what people do. And, you know, A-Rapper has been around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. For a long time. And I've always thought, I'll throw this idea out, I mean, A-Rappers are like maybe our answer to a food distribution system that isn't always in a store. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. When I think of Damien and Black, who has a company called Black Sauce, this little nouveau soul thing he does out in people's all over the place, they try to get Damien to go into a restaurant he said, Damien said, I don't want to be in a restaurant. I don't want this overhead. I want to be free and be able to cook and make a living and hire people and do what I do. So maybe the answers are not the standard establishment answers about where you go and what you do, whether it's farming, whether it's tilapia in the basement. I'm asking a quick story. My grandfather, um, who, even though he was Jewish and living in the, in the, the east side Jewish ghetto here in Baltimore in the, in the early 1900s, um, Jews weren't supposed to eat crabs, my grandfather used to raise crabs in his bathtub to sell to all the people who weren't supposed to be eating crabs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all that black market. And yeah. that gray economy has always existed, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, and I tell that story to say, and he did other things in the bathtub that were doing prohibition as well for things that people wanted that they couldn't get when they wanted. <laughs> but, but I'm saying that to say that maybe our answers are not always in the establishment. Maybe our answers are already here in kind of what you can build out and control when people can live and survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God deals in conversations, and I think what you're, you, you, you said it best. I mean, I, th- I think it starts with a conversation. That's not something that's happening all over the place, uh, particularly in, in the localized, in the community, uh, meetings, and com- at least the ones I attend, uh, or on, on the steps or anything. People are just doing it. They're living their lives, and, and, and to organize around that is certainly uh, because of, uh, I guess, the legal aspect. It's not a, but I think having those conversations and uh, assuring that it doesn't have to be an established establishment thing, but it can be legitimized. Uh, it started with a conversation with Jesus, and then he said, The party is at your house. And then they broke bread, and and and, and things expanded, and um, and and we can we can do the same thing too. Mm-hmm. Nothing new. One thing, um, no boundaries did for our safety um, committee, which I think we're going to do one for our health committee too. We had a meeting with all of the council people, um, the comptroller, and other departments and we had a round table where the community the council people had to sit down and take notes and listen to the residents and share out what the residents needed and wanted so we're thinking about doing that for health too and they promised us a couple of things and we have to get back in contact to see if they're going to keep their promises but the one thing that that made them do was listen to the residents and the thing that we told them, we don't need you necessarily bringing new stuff in here. We need you to build on to what's already here. And I hope I don't offend anyone because I don't particularly like our mayor. But the one thing that I did agree with, what she said on the news last night, is a lot of the liquor stores that got destroyed during the rioting, she, they are not, the city is not going to help them rebuild it as liquor stores, but if they want to rebuild it as a healthy food store or dry cleaners or something of that, 
then the city would help them rebuild it. So that right there gives us hope in our community because if you take out some of the liquor stores, you're going to take out some of the violence, which is going to decrease the crime in the community. Mommy, go ahead. Do you want to say something, Darrell? Sure, I have a question. You have a question. <laughs> Even you. <Yeah. laughs> okay, um, I'm a big fan of all the work that, that each of you are doing. And um, Melissa just talked about um, um, the fires and, and some, of the, some of the things that happened uh, around Freddie Gray. And I'm wondering, like, how that motivated you or demotivated you in your work, how the, the, the riots and the aftermath. Uh, I had a lot of emotions with the riots, um, particularly, you know, sitting on my couch crying while the mayor let our city burn up and be destroyed. Um, and thank God for community because when Elder Harris's, um, one of his gardens caught on fire, the community came together and helped him put that out because we couldn't depend on um, the police and our leaders. But that made me... Like, okay, you know, all of this, like, it's wrong. It's so much stuff wrong in Baltimore City, and I'm like, it's wrong. I'm, I'm going to fight. I'm going to continue to fight until we, our streets are safe, our children quit dying in the streets every day until we have a grocery store because our community has the right to eat, too, just like the communities in the suburbs or in Baltimore County. I mean, we have the right to eat. So I'm just going to keep fighting. The one thing I always, it was a tragedy. It, it was a tragedy, but I do believe out of that tragedy and much attention as Sandtown and No Boundaries and the other organizations have had that we are going to get blessings out of the tragedy. Well, it up my responsibility as a servant leader. I have, I've, I've been taken to another level. And so that means those who are working with me, they have, to, they have to take on responsibilities that I used to do because I am inundated with uh, so many meetings, uh, so many discussions with uh, other leaders and trying to end the poverty in our community. So that is what... Um, the uh, civil unrest uh, did as far as I'm concerned more responsibility and where much uh, much is required uh, on, on those who are in that position so um, it humbles me it has humbled me and uh, more and, um, and it caused me to want to do more as far as uh, serving is concerned. Nick, I'm gonna put, put the hands up back here and back here. Let me go back here first. I'll come back up here, okay? So on, on the way back here, you know, one of the questions we talked about the uprising, and, and the uprising was almost had to be, given the conditions and the, the frustration so many young people felt and the explosive thing that happens inside when you, when you get that angry, because most of the kids who were arrested on the, the night of the uprising at Pennsylvania North and around, most of them didn't have criminal records. They did. They were minor. Mm -hmm. These are just young people who exploded because they just flipped out and that then they've had enough. And when you hear the stories, you understand. But in the process of that flipping out, let's take the CBS was burned down. We're talking about bringing grocery stores in. 
So how hard is it now to talk to those kind of corporations, if we want them here, to come here, do you think? Well, I think it did a great job for CVS. They got all that news reporting, and uh, if you didn't know who CVS was, you knew <laughs> after <laughs> because CVS was shining on every channel, and, uh, and and they received a great benefit with all that publicity. So, um, so it it is. It, 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 I don't think it's hard. When we have an Upton station, we have North Avenue station as far as uh, transportation is concerned, and Mondawmin. You have these three links uh, in and out. Um, that is a plus for our community. Right now, um, uh, the community, uh, Georgetown, would love to have a station in Georgetown when they see the progress that's happening on 14th and U. When they have that station there now. Right. They're eating out in the streets. I mean, anyone know anything about 14th and U? <laughs> oh, my God. It's like night and day. That can happen here in Sandtown. And that's just, what, 50 miles away? That can happen here in Sandtown. We have to believe. So any person who want to invest, who do not invest in Sandtown, Winchester, they're going to find themselves saying to them, I, I was crazy not to jump on this opportunity. Because CVS will build a, a, a better uh, CVS on the corner of North and, and, and Pennsylvania. They're not going anywhere. And that's the truth. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? All right. Um, I have a question. I, I apologize for arriving late. You know, I'm looking at what's happening in Fells Point and Canton and those areas, and the mayor and this city has given tax incentives to those organizations coming in there. Has anyone addressed the city council, the city of Baltimore, or the state of Maryland in reference to that to get these large stores and people to come into this area and invest? Yes, sir. We are working on that uh, on the 18th of this month across the street, St. Peter Clavers. These groups are coming together, and uh, we're boosting up one Baltimore along with Bill, and uh, we're going to change. We have to change. Baltimore have to change. It cannot be uh, um, uh, status quo any longer. Every urban city in the United States is a powder keg, ready to explode. <laughs> the same thing that happened in Sandtown could happen anywhere in urban United States. All it takes is one little spark, and it would happen. Look how much money we lost in this community. And the fear of people coming back into, into this community, it has to change. Their attitudes and everything have to change. The, the, the question the gentleman asked, though, was also about as well as a political question, in that it, it, it's true that the investments are taking place in Canton and in Fells Point and in the Inner Harbor and in what they call South Baltimore now. Felt, what, they call, I mean, what they call Federal Hill used to be called South Baltimore. Mm -hmm. They're not happening in Sandtown. They're not happening in Edmondson Village. They're not happening in Forest Park at, at Garrison Liberty Heights. They're happening other places. 
that I mean that's what we're talking about. Trying to, the investment has to come here. Certainly, uh, I can take a stab at it. Recently, uh, we had uh, it was Congressman Elijah Cummins, uh, Representative Dutch Rupertsberger, uh, right. who's the senator? I, I'm terrible with these titles. Uh, Mikulski. Now, Mikulski came just recently. Uh, yes, Senator Mikulski, yes, Cardin. Ben Cardin. I'm just mentioning this one particular visit, and they had the head of the Small Business Administration. Uh, appointee uh, by uh, President Obama to come and have a, a dialogue and help to uh, map on them. What they did not do, in my opinion, was get the voice of the community. But they had the meeting inside of the community uh, at our location, our head, church headquarters. On, so they were inside of Santana and with the promise, and we did have a chance to talk to them afterwards, with the promise that they are coming to. And they talked about those incentives and um, they talked about what happened in California because she was, this lady was an expert in terms of uh, helping to build and bring back businesses, build new businesses and bring back businesses uh, based on her experience in the L.A. riot, during the L.A. riots of uh, it was the early 90s. Uh, and so they brought her in and they wanted to meet here. And the goal is to uh, have more dialogue, but more importantly than that, hopefully put some action behind that dialogue uh, to bring these uh, efforts. And if I can, I didn't get a chance to answer Robert Doyle's uh, question about how I felt, and I'll be very quick. Uh, during the riding the riots, uh, as a man, answering as a man, I'll answer as a man born and raised here, uh, I was deeply saddened on that Monday uh, evening. I was deeply saddened, and I stood on this very corner to make sure that my brother, properly here, was safe against my neighbors uh, and was prepared to do so, uh, standing in between, physically in between them and this building. Uh, and so I was saddened, but being a man of faith also, after a while, that sadness sort of uh, reminded me of a pastor who stood across the street uh, as the fire department was pitting out, placing uh, water to his burning structure. And his friend walked up to him with tears in his eyes, and he said, man, I'm so sorry, your house that you had for all these years is burning down. And the pastor stood there smiling. He said, why are you smiling? He said, can you imagine that new kitchen I wanted? <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? Can you imagine the rebuilding that will take place uh, because of folks uh, sitting to the left and right of me uh, and myself and folks who are dedicated like that to have these things uh, be back? And I do think CVS is coming back primarily because of what they saw on Tuesday morning, not just what they experienced on Monday evening. Said, over here. The many volunteers that came back and supported our community. Mm-hmm. There were more folk that came back to support our community to right. help rebuild and to show the true heart of, of, of human beings, the true heart of being humanitarians. In one day, uh, uh, when, when my structure was, was burnt down, they repaired it in one day, and you could walk past there, and you wouldn't think that anything happened. The next that's, that's what need to, needed to be reported, how people have the heart of God enough to come and help their, their, their fellow man, regardless of what you look like, uh, who you love. They were here supporting us to the hilt. Hi, my name is Patrick. Uh, I just want to thank you guys. Very um, inspiring to hear you all talk about um, uh, urban revitalization. Um, the guy in the middle, uh, what's your name? Uh, Antoine. Antoine. Sir. Hey, Antoine. Yes, um, 
Are you from New Song? Yes, sir. Yeah, um, I'm from Faith Christian Fellowship. Okay. And uh, we worship with you sometimes. Yes. Um, I think every year. And uh, I remember doing a work project with Habitat for Humanity in Sandtown. Yes, sir. And I'll be volunteering with uh, with my own church in uh, Penn Lucy, where we're from. Yes. And um, I just I, I guess I just want to bring up the uh, the food and faith like connection and talk about like you know different faith based organizations and how that can um, help restore the land and restore homes and communities um, and also talk about you know like the aspect of like orga- if it's organic practices and maybe some of the environmental restoration with urban revitalization and uh, community rebuilding and the jobs and um, education I-, I know it's all connected so I'm just wondering if you're if you're staying connected with the the modern movement with with all the different other organizations in Baltimore City um, with helping restore the land. Oh yeah, I th- I think that um, well I know for sure that uh, the the accomplishments that New Song and Newborn has experienced uh, in this community uh, first and foremost uh, the glory goes to God, but it was not built alone uh, by the residents. And the leadership here, it, it takes partnerships. And one of the things I think that we're uh, pretty uh, abreast of uh, and um, pretty committed to is partnering with folks. Uh, we're careful about what those partnerships look like and who they are, but we're certainly uh, open to uh, partner with with folks. I mean, we have 328 houses, uh, and they weren't all built by the homeowner and the Habitat staff. We've seen 10,000 volunteers, be it individuals, be it churches, be it, in some cases, uh, governmental agencies that came uh, throughout the, you know, 20-plus years that Habitat has been doing work. Uh, and so uh, that's what we do. We're, we're smart in one regard, knowing that we can't do it all by ourselves. And so we are certainly open. Uh, but it's always uh, wise, and it behooves any organization uh, or any individual, for that matter, to know who they're getting in bed with. Our brothers and sisters from China came here. Our brothers and sisters from Ireland came Japan, here. Papua Our New brothers Guinea. and sisters from Russia. Our brothers and sisters from Japan. They all came in our community supporting us in the 300-plus uh, homes that we have built uh, for home ownership here in our community. This is a great opportunity for faith people. And uh, we cannot be afraid. We have to get out of the box, cannot be afraid. And um, uh, 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 God teaches us that one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight. And so for the faith community, we really have to show us this is a wonderful, glorious opportunity God has given us to do work. I've got time for one very quick last question because we have to wind up the evening here. Uh, my name is Eric Lockett, and I'm actually an organizer for AFSC, and um, my focus now is Gilmore Homes, and essentially we just basically uh, give out food every last Thursday, uh, every month. You know, it's a food desert. And um, well, I understand that um, you're nonprofit, but you distribute through good farms, which is for profit. Is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, uh, we grow and we sell our food to uh, um, Big City Farm, and they distribute. Okay, okay. Uh, but we are growing, but in the process, 
which hasn't complete, we're not complete yet. We will have a uh, farmer's market okay. in the community. We're working with uh, um, no boundaries, okay. and, and, and the food that we grow will be dis, uh, distributed in this community. Because my question was, I'm in the process of galvanizing some resources, and I'm just kind of looking at what would be the probability of some of that food coming across the street. Well, come on, hang with us, brother. <laughs> okay, you, you're you. here in Sandtown. You're one of us. All right. Very quick. We really are out of time. I'm the president of Gemma Homes. Come on up. I was thinking, but um, I was trying to do last year, was trying to get Gemma Homes and Sandtown together as one. Yeah, we're one. You um, take up a third of our community, brother. Gilmore Homes take up a third of our community, so we're one. And you're not isolated, and don't you feel like you are? I'm not feeling you, it. Don't even feel it, brother. And don't even feel it. presidents before me mm-hmm. didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm did. trying to make a difference for Gilmore Homes because Fed Street gave up on Gilmore Homes. Well, you're not, not isolated, brother. They're not trying to do brother. too much for us. But I'm trying to make a difference for us myself. Oh, we need to right. see you. Re- absolutely. I, I appreciate you. You're, Please. You're, you're the reason why gentrification hasn't happened yet, so I want to talk to you. That's right. That's why he brought me here. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. I'm glad, glad he you did. came here. Please don't leave before we talk. And since we're doing this, I have one last piece right here. Reverend? Hi, I'm Christina, and I currently serve at the Church of the Redeemer in North Baltimore. God bless you. And um, first, uh, thank you so much for your leadership. And, and thank you for and, your um, financial support. Well, of I was us. just that's <laughs> my question. Three specific concrete things, Elder Harris, that you need to make your vision reality. Oh, three um, so, things? So, yeah, so just I've, I've had so many people in my parish say, you know, we want to do something. What, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to be able to go back and say, Elder Harris said, boom, boom, boom. Well, first of all, we need your prayers. Mm-hmm. That's, that's first and foremost. I need, we need to know that you love us, <laughs> that, that, that we know that you're caring for us. We know that Redeemer is caring, caring for us. We are we, we, we know that, but um, uh, um, the expertise is, uh, as far as your your knowledge of, of business, uh, 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 um, those things that we are lacking of how to um, uh, get people off their kushtas and, and and those things if we're educated in in how to. Uh, Get folks motivated uh, to to want to do. Uh, I, I grew up on a story called Stone Soup. If y'all under, so, if you understand Stone Soup, you would understand our need. And it takes all of us to 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 to, to, to do it. It's not always finances, but in that you may see if I could get someone to invest in this and how how we can work together in this, this investment. Um, I, those are the three things that I, I think. And if, if you need me to define it more, I will, I will talk to you. So and thank uh, you so very, very much. Uh, as, we, as we wind up this evening, and I'll, let, I'll have a final word here in just a moment. Say good evening, everybody. I'd, I'd like to turn to, to Melissa Kelly just for the final thought. You've been very quiet, but you've been taking it all in in the last 15, 20 minutes. 
Just give yeah. us a closing thought, Melissa. I mean, Father's I, Day. Father's Day. Coming actually, up. Coming up. I have a whole lot of hope and a whole lot of faith, just like Elder Harris said, that as long as we're sticking together and we are got each other's backs, that Sandtown will rebuild. And out of our organizations, like, we don't give up and we don't take no for an answer. Like, we'll be in front of City Hall with 100 people until you see us and until you hear us. So we're going to keep doing it and we're going to keep fighting until we get the changes that we deserve. First of all, I want to thank Melissa Kelly. Thank you. No Boundary Coalition, St. Peter's Flavor Church. Thank you. Antoine Bennett, Newton Stone Community Church. LBCW Harris, of course, Newborn Holistic Ministries, who invited us to his house this evening for our Food and Faith Project. And thank you all for coming out. You're listening to Soundbites, a weekly look at food, agriculture, and our future here on The Mark Steiner Show. From your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And broadcast on the Marble Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM. We're about to take a very brief break. Don't go away. When we come back, I'll speak to Mitch Jones from Food and Water Watch about TPP and how it can affect your food and our environment. On our way to break, we're hearing The Wind Cries Mary by Jimi Hendrix. On this day in 1962, Jimi Hendrix was honorably discharged from the 104th Airborne Paratroopers after breaking his ankle during his 26th and final parachute jump. Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Soundbites, a weekly look at food, agriculture, and our future here on The Mark Steiner Show. From your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM. And that's Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. On this day in 1988, Tracy Chapman started a three-week run at number one with her self-titled debut album. We're about to talk with Mitch Jones, who is Senior Policy Advocate for Food and Water Watch out of the Baltimore office. And Mitch, good to see you. Welcome back to the studio. Thanks, Mark. So... When you see the title of the organization, Food and Water Watch. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> why why is it been, are you so deeply involved in this Trans-Pacific Partnership issue, and what's it mean for Food and Water Watch, TPP? Well, the TPP, <clears throat> the Trans-Pacific Partnership, is one of these kind of new-style so-called trade deals that don't have a lot to do with trade and have a lot to do with all of the other uh, laws and regulations that we have as a country, including those that affect the protection of our, our food and our water, our air, and a variety of other um, concerns that, that everyday people have. Uh, this deal, which is being negotiated in secret but has been leaked widely by WikiLeaks and others, um, really only deals with what we would call traditional trade a little bit, by which I mean things like whether or not there's a tariff on importing car parts or uh, exporting beef to one of the countries involved. And what it deals with instead is um, what they call an extra tariff or a non-tariff barrier to trade. And what that means, you know, that's trade legal speak. But what that means for us is that it's approaching trying to uh, get at the regulations and laws that we have that control our food safety system and that protect our uh, our access to clean and affordable water. So how does it do that? I mean, so how is this, if this goes through, because right now, just be clear that 
the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, as we spoke about yesterday on the program, um, on the Mark Steiner show, that is, uh, that um, it's not passed yet. It's just put on the fast track for consideration. Correct. Right? Correct. So it's the full Congress has not said, yes, this is, in fact, going to be an international trade agreement that we that, that is a law. That is correct. Right. 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 So, so those people who oppose TPP have a little bit of room to fight the fight before it's passed. Correct. So now how does it how would it directly affect issues like food and our agricultural system and what we grow and eat and the water? So what did you mean by that? Um, it, there's a couple of different ways it would do it. One is they're um, directly related to our food safety system, for instance, and, and the uh, import of food. Uh, there is a provision included in the TPP that's called the rapid response mechanism, which sounds great, right? I mean, who doesn't want a rapid response when we're talking about food safety? The only problem is it's not a rapid response to benefit consumers who might be endangered by food that isn't uh, safe and wholesome, but rather it's a rapid response to benefit the folks who are importing the food who are upset that their product is being held up at the border because uh, the FDA – uh, has inspected it and thinks that it needs further testing to assure that it is safe and wholesome. So what it would do is it could potentially force into commerce uh, product, food, which the tests haven't been completed on. And when you consider that less than 2% of the food being imported into the U.S. is actually inspected at the border, which is troubling enough, if you throw in this idea that, well, an importer is going to have this option now to force through food that did get inspected and that there is concerns about, that's troubling. Um, in addition to that, the countries that we have this uh, deal with, the 12 countries as part of the TPP, many of them have a long history of raising, in particular, seafood uh, in farms, aquaculture, fish farms, um, using chemicals and drugs that are banned here in the U.S. because they're known to, you know, Cause cancer. TPP would cover this because I thought that was this is this is not about Latin America. This is about Pacific countries, right? Well, it involves um, Chile and Peru as well, but this is uh, Vietnam uh, in particular is is a concern here. Um, and what you're seeing coming from there are shrimp, um, so and, and other shellfish. So it right. it really does you know it's it's a concern for us that. There's going to be, we believe, an increase in imports of these types of foods from these countries. There is not going to be more money for more inspections. So that 2% is the high point. It's going to get less. As more product comes in, we're not going to have an increase of inspectors. That means less is going to be inspected. And it's going to be coming from countries that have a track record, like Vietnam in particular, of producing foods using drugs and chemicals that are not approved here in the U.S., so, and, and we know this why. I mean, because I, because I, I guess when people are listening to this, the question is we keep hearing is is the TPP, the Trans Pacific Partnership. Um, there's so much that we don't know about because it's not been declassified. Whatever the number, right. right terminology is, we don't know what's inside of it. That's why people are saying, why should we vote for something we don't know what it says? So how do we know that? Um, we know this because there have been portions that have been leaked. Um, to be frank, WikiLeaks has gotten a hold of some sections and and submitted it. There are other folks who happen to have seen it, um, not through official channels, but because they were at a conference and somebody had a copy and they were able to see certain chapters and could tell people. Now, it is classified, which is odd. Um, you know, that is. Is, that, is it unprecedented? 
it's not entirely unprecedented. Um, this is, I think it's because the administration knows that if the details of the trade deal were made public and were uh, debated openly, the deal would fail. You know, this is a point that uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren has made repeatedly. Well, if, you know, the deal is so bad that you have to keep it secret from the American people to assure it's <laughs> going to pass, then the American people should know what's in it. Um, you know, she mentioned just this week, she's read it. She's read it? She's read Well, yeah, because members of Congress now have access finally. Uh, okay. But she's not allowed to talk to you or me about what's in it, which is ridiculous. You know, so she can read it. She can talk to the president and say, this is why I'm opposed to it. But she couldn't tell you. She couldn't come on your show and talk to you and your listeners about what's in the deal because it's classified, which is absurd um, for a deal that is as far reaching. The TPP would uh, apply to 40 percent of the world economy if it's approved, that it's the largest standalone free trade deal uh, ever negotiated. So now what about the water end of it? Is this about privatization of water that people are worried about? There is some concern about the privatization of water. That is probably more of a threat under two other deals that are being negotiated right now. One is the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, or TTIP. Uh, and the other is one called the Trade in uh, Services Agreement, or TISA. And both of those are probably just because of the way that the market in municipal water privatization works, but also because TISA deals specifically with things like municipal provision of services, um, as well as financial services and others. Um, but the big private water companies tend to be European. And so the threat of uh, water privatization comes more through that uh, European trade deal, the transatlantic trade deal, than it does from the Trans-Pacific. But it is a concern that uh, once these deals, if they're approved, it will be easier for uh, these companies to privatize services, and it would be much more difficult for cities who find that they're in a bad private deal to pull out because a lot of them uh, do pull out uh, once they get into those deals. So, so where do you go from here? Or where, where, is, where, is, where, where, where do advocates and citizens who have questions, because it seems the majority of people have real questions about this because they don't know much about what's in it and they don't trust inherently in this country government, which has positive and negative aspects. But <laughs> that's it. So. Right. Well, I mean, if you want more information about it, especially if you're concerned about the effects on food safety, on uh, water, on fracking, for that matter, uh, that's a great concern about. Um, How does it affect fracking? Well, it can do so in a couple of different ways. Yeah. Uh, one is that um, there's a provision uh, in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, called Investor State Dispute uh, Resolution. And what that does is it gives corporations standing to challenge uh, state, local, and federal laws and regulations in an international trade tribunal. So if a company wanted to frack, say, uh, someplace with a fracking moratorium like here in Maryland, um, and they had had leases and they're not allowed to do so, they could claim that they're losing profit, projected profit, and they could sue the state for those so-called lost profits. This is actually happening right now under NAFTA in Canada where Quebec has a moratorium and they're being sued for $250 million. That has a real chilling effect, obviously, if one of those suits is uh, successful because how many towns or states are going to want to have to pay $250 million in supposed lost profits to a private company? The other um, way that it 
uh, would affect fracking is that um, we have a system here in the U.S. where exports of liquefied natural gas, which is the way in which you would transport the natural gas for international trade, have to be approved by the Department of Energy unless the country to which it's being exported is part of a free trade agreement with the U.S. So are we saying that that, that TPP, I think many free trade agreements are like this, what we call free trade agreements, but TPP more than others have made this true, that it supersedes our national laws? Is that something that we assume is happening here? Yeah, I mean, we we know it's happening here. We know it's there's, happening there's, here. Yeah, there's more of a an uprising against it in Europe, and so it, it's possible that the U.S. is asking for it in the European deal. It's possible that Europe might end up having to reject it if they want to have the deal approved. But we know that the U.S. is pushing for it in um, TPP. Um, I haven't heard any credible denials of the fact that it's going to be included in it. This is part of the provision that. Um, has been attacked by Elizabeth Warren, who I mentioned before, by Rosa DeLauro, who was leading the fight against uh, this in the U.S. House. And the administration has never denied that it's in the deal. All they've done is said that it's not as bad as people make it out to be. So in, in Maryland, where people are we're broadcasting this from, obviously, in, in Maryland, um, where are our senators on this? Cardin voted against the fast track, right? Well, he voted for it the first time. He was right. for it before he was against it. Um, and he uh, voted th- the correct way the second time. Uh, Barbara Mikulski voted the right way both times. The only member of the U.S. House delegation who voted for it was John Delaney. The, he's the only one who voted for it? Yes. Yes. Andy Harris opposed it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think that because you, you, you're seeing, as, as I heard a, a conservative commentator say on the the other day, the, it's called the populist left of the Democratic Party in some ways is aligned with the libertarian populist wing of the Republican Party. Yes. Saying we have to be careful about what's being taken away from us here. Right. Um, you know, there is a tradition in the Republican Party to of opposing these sorts of deals. It's gotten smaller as time has gone on, but there are still uh, Walter Jones from North Carolina, for example. Um, who's been a leader on this. But yeah, there is an alignment. Ralph Nader has talked about this. There's an alignment right, right, between right. the left and and right on this issue. But what, what for, for, the, for, for the people listening to this program right now, yeah. whether they're listening to us from Salisbury or Baltimore or Montgomery County or somewhere else on the shore, yeah. what, what is it that, why should people be worried about this? I mean, what does it have to do with me? What has to do with them? You know, you know what I'm saying? Their daily lives. Right. Why is TPP so onerous for so many people? A variety of different things. One, we know that um, these trade deals cost jobs. I mean, all you have to do is look at what's happened to Baltimore in the last uh, 40 years, which you know actually corresponds, I would argue, not coincidentally with the advent of the fast tracking of trade deals, the demise of the manufacturing base here, um, which goes along with the attack on labor unions. But that's part and parcel of this because what these trade deals allow is for the outsourcing of jobs. And um, the destruction of the manufacturing working class in this country. So that's one. I mean, we can see here in Baltimore what has happened because of these trade deals. Um, two, as I mentioned earlier, there are real concerns about food safety. There's also privatized food safety in some of these countries that uh, the USDA has already been attempting to, to move here. And we believe that if uh, this deal is finalized and approved by Congress, that will become another wedge for working in, um, basically allowing 
um, a, a processing plant, a meat processing plant, to provide its own uh, private inspection. There's um, concerns about water mm. privatization. Um, you know, there's here in Baltimore, we're dealing with water shutoffs already. Um, there are some folks who are concerned that this might be a prelude to water privatization. I don't know that there's been direct evidence of that yet. But, you know, these deals start to line up in real ways that affect our economy, affect the wholesomeness and safety of the food that we put on the tables for our families, um, affect whether or not there are good paying jobs for uh, for people not only here in Baltimore, but in Salisbury and in Montgomery County as well. So so what is the strategy now? I mean, the fa- what, um, what is, let's define very quickly and then talk about what you're, what you're thinking about what mm-hmm. goes from here. The fast track just means what, – what, what was this vote on? What does it really mean? Well, fast track was – is the way that um, defines how this deal will be dealt with or any deal that's negotiated under the fast track provision uh, is dealt with when it comes to Congress. And what it does is it limits the uh, amount of debate. It prohibits members of Congress from offering amendments to the deal um, and then guarantees that the deal will have a yes or no vote uh, within a, a limited time frame. So what does that mean for TPP and what people can do and what you are doing? Um, well, TPP uh, has not been finalized yet. They're going to try to finalize it this summer. The goal um, for its supporters are to try to get it out of the U.S. Congress by the end of this year because they don't want to have a vote during an election year. Um, you know, what it means practically is that there were 28 Democrats in the House that voted for fast track. All 28 of those Democrats need to continue to hear why the deal itself, as the deal is finalized and as details of it actually become public, um, why their constituents oppose the deal. Um, you know, the Republicans who voted against it, um, some of them voted against fast track because they don't like President Obama. Um, Right. They're going to have to be convinced that the deal is bad for their their constituents as well. So you know, right. he proposed outlawing all abortions in America, and they still vote no because he proposed it. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. So you know, it's um, you know, it's going to take work to keep the coalition that opposed fast track together. But you know, I haven't seen a, a lessening of that. Um, you know. Consumer groups, environmental groups, the labor uh, organizations, organized labor, are still um, intent on uh, mobilizing people to let their members of Congress and their senators know that this deal is a raw deal for us. Um, as great as it might end up being for the corporate boardroom, it's terrible for for those of us who have to sit around the kitchen table trying to figure out how to pay bills. And um, you know, it's it's going to take continued effort of educating folks about why it's a problem, why it's a threat, and um, having those folks communicate with their members of Congress so that the members of Congress know that there is a penalty that they're going to pay come election day if they support the TPP. I guess that might be the – of all the things in terms of strategies to, to, to address the TPP – that maybe I'm wrong, but that, that that could be one of the weakest, just because the short-term memories and TPP not really direct. You don't feel it. That's why I asked you the question earlier. Yeah. Cause you don't feel it uh, affecting you directly. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. I mean, it's the the lines have to be drawn to show that. Um, and I think I do think that the 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 destruction, uh, for lack of a better word, of manufacturing jobs in this country is the clearest indication, right? If you knew 
you know, that when you were growing up, your dad, usually somebody in our you know generations, uh, had a good job down at the factory and was making good money right, and was right. able to put food on the table and send you to college so you didn't, you know, so you could go be a journalist or, or be a policy advocate. Um, it's not happening anymore. It's not happening anymore. Right. You know, the, the, the kids you went to high school with, um, their kids, those jobs aren't there anymore. They're working at Walmart. They're, you know, uh, doing other things. And so I think that's where the most visceral connection for people is. But these other concerns, if you're if you're concerned about fracking, TPP is a real threat to your ability to keep fracking out of your state or out of your community. If you're concerned about making sure that your water remains affordable and uh, clean and uh, – that your utility is responsive to you and not to investors, you know, on the other side of the world, then then this matters to you. If you want to try to make sure that we um, continue to have a food safety system that works to keep food safe for us instead of allowing food into uh, the market as quickly as possible, then mm-hmm. this is this is important for you. So, very quick, before we have to roll. What's is there a a a website people can contact Food and Water Watch if they want to know more and where they go with this? Yeah, you can go to foodandwaterwatch.org. Um, and if you look at the uh, – there's a issues tab at the top. And if you click on that, you can see that it will say trade and that will take you to the page uh, that contains uh, fact sheets, a video, and all sorts of information about these deals. Well, Mitch Jones, who is director – I mean, excuse me, who is senior policy advocate for Food and Water Watch. Uh, thanks for being here on Soundbites and the Mark Steiner Show. Always good to see you. Thanks, Mark. I always like being here. And we will continue to look at this subject uh, on The Mark Steiner Show as it progresses. And once again, thanks a lot. Thanks. The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites are productions of the Center for Emerging Media and made possible in part by a grant from the Town Creek Foundation. Our producers are Stephanie Mavronis and Mark Gunnery. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our engineer at Delmarva Public Radio is Christopher Rank. Our theme music is by Wal Matthews of Clean Cuts. To podcast The Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends, visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. You can also learn more about Soundbites and listen to past episodes at soundbitesradio.org. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and WSDL 90.7 FM, Delmarva Public Radio, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.